Thank you for joining us for this message today. If you're new to the church or want to connect in any way, check us out at harborcitychurch.org. We would love to connect with you. Thank you so much. And with that, let's jump into the message. Good morning, everyone. I hope you're having an amazing 4th of July weekend with your family and friends. Before we get started, I have a couple of housekeeping things I want to mention. First of all, I want to say thanks for your generosity and all that you've been giving over the last number of, I wouldn't say just weeks, but months, because, uh, because of you trusting us as a leadership, we've been able to keep the doors open, we've been able to bless and help others locally, nationally, and internationally, and just so you know where some of your giving has been going, I want you to know, in the last two weeks, we partnered with nine other churches uh, to bless our local health care uh, workers in Aberdeen, Hoquim, and I think also up in East County. Uh, we were able to uh, uh, give them a nice gift certificate as they work in these assisted living facilities. And uh, there are almost 400 workers that we were able to bless. So I want to say thank you for trusting us with that. Also, we've been able to assist uh, local folks with food and with electrical bills and other needs as they arise. We've also been able to give to the church and children in Uganda as you continue to give in that area and because it's all because you've been consistent in your giving. Also, we've been able to give to other churches in this nation and other nations as needs have come up as well. Now, because of COVID restrictions, we want you to know we will not be having City Kids Camp in July and we'll not be having a back-to-school marketplace in August. And I'm just... Uh, Sorry to tell all of you that. We think we're all going to miss not having City Kids Camp and especially Mark Marketplace Ministries, but it'll come back in the future. All right, with that all in mind, uh, let me just get to the message this morning. So let's lift up our Bibles, smartphones, iPads, whatever you have your Bible on, and let's make our prayer declaration together. I know it's a little strange to do it at home, but let's lift them high. Say this with me. This is my Bible, God's holy word. This book is alive and is powerful. I read other books, but this is the only book that reads me. There are many opinions, but this is the only opinion that counts. Today, I declare by faith, I can do all it says I can do. I can be all it says I can be. I can have all it says I can have. Today, I ask the Lord Jesus, the living word, to take his written word and personalize it for my life so I can leave here changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, <clears throat> one thing I, I like about the 4th of July is that it's always been a fun weekend with our families uh, to celebrate. We eat lots of food during this holiday. We play games. If the weather's nice, we were usually at the lake or the bay with our families, and we would swim, water ski, barbecue, and then not only watch lots of fireworks, but uh, light, off lights of far light, light off lots of fireworks as well. Now, one thing I wonder, and I wondered this with my staff this week, is do Americans really know why we celebrate this holiday? So I gave my staff a little quiz this week, and they did um, okay. But I thought maybe you'd like to see how some Americans or what some Americans really know about this holiday. So Mark Dice of markdice.com, 
He was curious about the same question and went to the beaches in San Diego to ask them some questions about the 4th of July. Please watch. What country famously broke away from England to start their own country in the late 1700s? I have no idea, man. I'm, I don't know. <laughs> what are we celebrating on the 4th of July? Exactly? Our independence. A little more specific. It's the day that we overtook the South. And it's the day that, um, it's our independence. It's, that's why we have the fire. From the South. From the South, exactly. So it was the victor of the Civil War? Yes. Fourth of July? Yes. The Declaration of Independence was signed by who? I don't know. Just name one person. Um, Abraham Lincoln? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Sorry. Not? What year was that declaration? Of was it 1964? <laughs> 84? 1984. 84? Oh, I don't know. No. 1864? 1864. I don't know. This country, no wonder this country's in trouble. What year did we declare independence from Britain? 1773? I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> Getting people's uh, thoughts on uh, what country we broke away from when we declared independence back in 1776. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't know. America celebrates the 4th of July. Is it Independence Day when you got rid uh, read of uh, Mother England, right? Yes. Here we have the foreigners that know why we, you know, well, uh, the foreigners know why we celebrate it more than Americans. Everybody do. loves to get rid of their, like, you know, like the the, the, colon, the colonizers. So it's uh, it's always That's good. That's incredible. <laughs> it's always good. Thanks for knowing that. That's yeah. incredible, man. Have a good one. Have a good vacation. See ya. Well, as you can see, many folks like to celebrate uh, a holiday, but aren't sure why they are celebrating. So I thought I would share some facts for that all of us should really know about this great country we live in. So here's some thoughts on our story. But I want to read a scripture, Psalm 11, verse 3. It says this, If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? So uh, you need to know that the foundations are what hold this nation together. And there's four founding documents that I'll mention in a little while. But here's one thing you need to write down today. When you know your history, you will know your heritage. The root of the word history simply means me story, is actually what it means. The story of America's past is yours and my story. It's our heritage. It's what gets passed on to us. But if we miss our history, it's not passed on to us and we can't pass it on to our children. But when we learn our story, we know about the foundation and learn about the foundation our nation is built on. And then... Uh, we understand what we are responsible for. So the Bible tells us to be careful not to remove what the nation was built on because it was built on God's principles. And if we don't stay on that, the nation, nation will eventually destroy itself. Now, when you look at the length of uh, any govern, governing document uh, in, the, in any nation, in the history of the world, the average is 17 years. But yesterday... We celebrated our 244th uh, year under the same governing document. So where did this document come from? Well, the answer is this. When you look at our history, there were 
56 men who came together in September of 1774 in Philadelphia. They were from 13 colonies. At this time, they were not states. They were colonies. Many of them didn't know each other. And then the ones who did, many of them didn't like each other, actually. But there were many things they didn't like about Great Britain, uh, even more so. So uh, when you get together with people who kind of like each other but don't like each other, the question is, what do you do? How do you start? Well, we're not sure who came up with the idea, but what happened is uh, this group started with prayer. And it wasn't just any opening prayer like you have or like a dinner prayer, thanks God for the grub, rub-a-dub-dub kind of thing. No, they got on their knees for two hours and prayed. And we complain if we pray for 30 minutes or we pray for an hour, or it's on Wednesday nights at 6.30. But I want you to know that prayer was the first act of the first Congress. In addition to the prayer meeting, John Adams, who was the second president of the United States, he was present at this meeting, and he wrote uh, a letter to his wife, Abigail, and this is what he said. Here's a quote. Not only did we pray, but we studied four chapters of the Bible. And God so spoke to us out of Psalm 35 that it was amazing. And then he wrote these words to her. I beg you to read that psalm. Read this 35th psalm to your friends and read it to your father. And he goes on to say to her, for the first time, we think we are going to be able to defeat the British. Then he goes on to tell her in this letter, in addition to this two-hour prayer meeting, in addition to God speaking to us through Psalm 35, we have appointed a continental fast. We are calling people of all the colonies to a time of fasting and prayer. Then he penned these words. This is the quote I want you to see. should be on the screen. Millions will be upon their knees at once before their great creator, imploring his forgiveness and blessings, his smiles on American councils and arms. He was saying to his wife, Abigail, can you imagine three million Americans, that was the total population at the time, on their knees, praying to God at once, asking for his forgiveness and for his blessings. Now you need to know, this is the first of 15 times Congress called the nation to days of prayer and fasting over the next two years. The first time, this very first time, was called a day of humiliation uh, in prayer and fasting. And if you look at the records of Congress, they say, hey, remember uh, that day of fasting and prayer we had a few months ago? Look at how God answered that prayer and all these other prayers. Maybe we ought to have a day of thanksgiving. And so that's what followed upon prayers of fasting, then they had days of thanksgiving. It followed the days of prayer and fasting. Then, a few months later, they say, look how things are going. We really need another day of prayer and fasting. So here's what you need to hear. And you don't hear this today in our history books or in our colleges, but you need to know this. 15 times Congress said, let's have a day of prayer and fasting, and then a day of thanksgiving. 15 times it goes back and forth. And then you need to know this. Almost 40 years later, the government called 
the people to prayer so often that by the time you get to the year 1815, there were over 1,400 government-issued proclamations to prayer and fasting. You need to know a few things about this nation. And number one, prayer was the foundation of what made this nation great. You need to know about John Hancock. He was one of the founding fathers and one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. He was the governor of Massachusetts. He called his state to prayer and fasting over 22 times. And this is what he wrote when he asked why he would do that. He wrote this, We need to pray that the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, may be established in peace and righteousness among all the nations of the earth. Now, that's a pretty bold uh, request to fast and pray for a state. He also called his state to pray for this reason. He says, pray that all nations may bow to the scepter of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and that the whole earth may be filled with his glory. He also says this. Let's also pray and confess our sins before God and implore his forgiveness through the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And then finally he said this. Let's pray that the spiritual kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, may be continually increasing until the whole earth shall be filled with his glory. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that's quite a governor. And I, uh, I think uh, not only in that day, but could you imagine that uh, a governor today, in, in, like Governor Inslee in Washington State, <clears throat> calling us all to prayer and fasting for, over COVID, or let alone the governor of Massachusetts uh, today. And you need to know, uh, from all this prayer, miracles began to happen with our military, which was made up, by the way, of farmers, school teachers, and shopkeepers. And they began to defeat British compounds, and this paved the way for uh, great success. John Adams said this, as, as our leaders gathered in a pub, he said this, it appears to me the eternal Son of God is operating powerfully against the British nation. He was saying to his fellow leaders, none of this makes sense unless you look at the God factor. And fortunately, many of the other leaders saw the same thing. And after we defeated the British, uh, we were now allowed to print our own Bibles because before that, the king told you what you would worship, how you would worship, and what you could read for your doctrine. But after that was done, we began to print our own Bibles. And guess what? They became the first textbook in our public schools. Then people like Benjamin Rush, who is one of the founding fathers, became the father of public schools under the Constitution. And you need to know this. This is a heritage of our education. Benjamin Rush founded five universities and was a huge civil rights activist. He started the first black denomination in America. He helped train the first black physicians in America. He was also the most famous physician himself in America. He also uh, was the guy who founded the first Sunday school movement in America. Thank God for Sunday school. I got saved through Sunday school. He also founded the first Bible society in America, and they produced the first mass Bible printing in America. Now, 
Why would he do that? Here's what he said. He said, if we can get Americans into the Bible, there are two things that will happen. Number one, they will become Christians. They will find out how how to have a relationship through God uh, with his son, Jesus Christ. And then he said the second thing, and I'm paraphrasing this one. If we can get them into the Bible, we can solve most of our social problems. We will have little crime, and we will have healthy families, and the rest will follow. His writings are amazing. This is just one of the things he says. Let's look at this quote. My only hope of salvation is the infinite, transcendent love of God manifested to the world by the death of his son upon the cross. Nothing but his blood will wash away my sins. I rely exclusively upon it. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. This man wanted to see people come to know Jesus Christ. And then uh, we have people like Roger Sherman. Uh, He's the only founding father to sign all four uh, founding documents, which, by the way, you might just ask yourself right now, what are the four founding documents of the United States? I'll give them to you. Number one is the Declaration of Independence. Number two is the Constitution. Number three is the Federalist Papers. And number four is the Bill of Rights. Now, he's a famer, uh, a famer, he's a framer of the Bill of Rights. He was a theologian and wrote the doctrinal creed for his denomination in Connecticut. He made statements like this. God commands all men everywhere to repent. He also commands them to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and has assured us that all who do repent uh, and believe shall be saved. He also said this. God has promised to bestow eternal blessings on all those who are willing to accept him on the terms of the gospel. That is, in a way of free grace through the atonement. Then there's this guy named Charles Carroll. Charles Carroll, he was the last one to die, last one to die of the founding fathers. He lived to be 95 years old. By the way, the average age in that day was 37 years old. So by the time you were 18, 19, half your life was over. But this guy lived to be 95. Now, by the time you get to the 50th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence, there are only three signers still alive. Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, and Charles Carroll. But on July 4th, 1826, the 50th anniversary uh, of the Declaration of Independence Both Jefferson and Adams died on the 4th of July in 1826. And that left uh, Charles Carroll as the last leading uh, living signer. So the state of New York wrote him and said, we have an original copy of the Declaration of Independence and we are writing this letter to you to ask for your final thoughts concerning America. And we would like you to sign this declaration with your final thoughts. So he came to New York City, and this is what he wrote. Please read this and look at it carefully. I am grateful to Almighty God for the blessings which through Jesus Christ, our Lord, he has conferred on my beloved country. He was saying this. I can't thank God enough for what he's done for our country through my Savior, Jesus Christ. That is his final thoughts decades later, and we, won't, we don't hear about it because we don't know our history. 
Now, I understand that that's not your fault and my fault in many ways. So you're going to have to be a learner. You're going to have to be a studier. You're going to have to search it out. We don't know God's story with our country because, and because of that, we don't know our heritage, which means we can't pass it on to future generations if we don't study it out. So we don't know the sacrifice of our founding fathers, and we don't know the sacrifice that their wives paid as well. You don't know that many of the founding fathers' wives even suffered in prison for their protest against the British. Now, I want to talk about the Bill of Rights for the final moments we have today. The Bill of Rights was written in 1789. So, you need to know it's the last of our four founding documents. The Bill of Rights are the first 10 amendments to our Constitution, and they were designed to protect our individual freedoms, which we hear about a lot today. It's my rights. It's my freedom. Now, most nations do not have a document that spells out their personal rights, but we do, and we take most of them for granted. So, here on the screen are some of the rights that are written in the Bill of Rights. Number one, freedom of speech. I can say what I want to say. That's why I'm up here today. I can tell you about what God says about our nation, even if others aren't saying it. We have freedom of the press, and we sure know about a lot about that lately, and there's a lot of bias and a lot of things going on on all sides of the press. <clears throat> we have freedom of assembly. That's why we can meet in a church. That's why we can protest. We have freedom of religion. That's why there are many different religions in America. It's, it's founded basically on Christian principles, but it allows for all these different religions within this nation. We have the freedom to bear arms. That doesn't mean have a bear arm. It means to bear arms. <laughs> okay. We have freedom to do process. We have freedom from search and seizure. We have freedom from cruel and unusual punishment. Very unlike many other countries uh, because there's a lot of cruel and unusual punishment in different nations. And then, number nine, probably should be your favorite. These rights do not mean that people do not have other rights that have not been spelled out here. So we might write the Ninth Amendment this way in our modern-day vernacular. I have the right to do what I want, when I want, with whom I want, as long as it doesn't interfere with anyone else's amended Ninth Amendment's rights. So, I know that's how we think as Americans, and I've had many people say, I can do whatever I want, I'm free. Here's the tenth one. The federal government only has those powers delegated in the Constitution. If it isn't listed, it belongs to the states or to the people. Now, let me go back to the Ninth Amendment there. Because we think we can do whatever we want, whenever we want, it leads to problems that we are facing today, right now in our nation. And every parent knows this. See, as parents, if you don't attach freedoms with responsibility, we know things can go horribly wrong. Did anyone ever have their car keys taken away from them? I had them taken away from me probably several times when I was living at home. Uh, you, you come home late when you said you were going to be there at a certain time. Parents take away the key. You come home with a different car than you left with. No, no just kidding. You come, come home uh, with a different uh, dent or scratch that wasn't there before. Every parent knows rights must be attached to individual responsibility. And a nation 
where there are individual rights without responsibility, it leads or it results in anarchy. In other words, liberty without responsibility actually undermines liberty. That means if everyone demands their individual rights with no consideration uh, for other people and takes no responsibility uh, for the outcome of their liberty, ultimately, everybody loses their liberty. Which brings us to a very important question. Why didn't the founding fathers write a bill of responsibility? Well, here's why. Because the founding fathers assumed uh, moral guardrails that would be an impetus for personal responsibility. And that everybody would stay between the guardrails and and be responsible. Here are three of their assumptions. Number one, they believed a consensus of conscience. In other words, they believed that people generally believed the same things were right and the same things were wrong. The Ten Commandments, by the way, were everywhere. They were in every public institution. They were in our public schools, city halls, courthouses, and so forth. There was a consensus, number two, of divine accountability. There was a sense of personal and national accountability to God. We, we, in other words, we have to give account for what we do with our liberty. And then the third one was this. There was a consensus that individual expression was governed by concern for other individuals. So when my rights and your rights are expressed, it's done with concern for others in mind. But now we think and act on the assumption, it is my right to act and do what I want and when I want, and it doesn't matter how my actions or my choices impact other people or my community or my neighbors. It used to be in our early years, I will express my rights, but also protect the rights of others in doing so. So these founding fathers connected the divine and the personal, and they crafted these words. Look at these words from the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, and they are endowed by their creator. Notice they believe we're created equal and we have a creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So there was an assumption or assumed connection between God and rights. And as a nation, we are responsible to God for how we exercise our individual rights. Now, John Adams, which I referred to earlier as one of our founding fathers, he was the second president of the United States. He never owned a slave. He was vice president to George Washington and the second president, like I said. So listen to what he writes about personal responsibility. He says this, our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. In other words, he's saying this, there is, if there's no sense of moral accountability to God, this grand experiment will fall apart. He's, he's saying liberty will devour liberty without God in the middle of it all, which means this, when my rights compete with your rights, who's to say who's right? And this is where we're at today as a nation. When my rights collide with your right, then the courts decide. When that happens, 
That means our government, instead of serving the people and finding ways to give back, they get paid to create law after law after law after law to address every single possibility or possible eventuality. And the reason we have so many, we have millions of laws, by the way. Not only federal laws, but state laws. And the reason we have so many laws is because every American is looking for a loophole. We, we look to see what we can get away with now. See, in a country where everyone is looking for a loophole because their accountability is only to the courts and written law, here's the problem. You might want to write this down somewhere. The law represents the minimum requirement. The law answers the question, how low can I go? How fast can I go without getting pulled over? That's, that's, the law is not telling you, enjoy the ride. The law is saying, enjoy the ride, and this is how fast you can go. So we, we will say, how fast can I go and, and, get, and not get pulled over? And, and most of us know we have a five-mile grace from most law enforcement. And then we ask ourselves, how fast can I go and get pulled over and still not get a ticket? We've been through that before. I've been through that before. Well, uh, will, will they give me a misdemeanor for not wearing a face mask? Will they really? <laughs> I just want you to know, I've wrestled with the face mask issue. In other words, when there is no law <clears throat> or divine sense of accountability, personally or nationally, we will go as low as we possibly can go. So the law doesn't inspire greatness, uh, excellence, or vir- virtue. It only asks the question, How low can I go? Aren't you thankful for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? Because what he did is he helped us go as high as we could go. See, tax laws cannot make you generous or financially responsible. The neighborhood neighborhood association standards, which many people belong to a neighborhood like that and they have to pay dues, it doesn't make you a good neighbor. It might make you the neighborhood policeman. I don't know. But I know this, traffic laws are important, but they don't create courteous drivers. I mean, when you see a stop sign, does that really mean stop? Or when you see a yellow light, does it mean slow down or does it mean speed up? (laughs) I know uh, my wife and I go through that issue quite a bit. So you need to understand laws are are powerless to inspire us. But as a result, here's where we are as a nation. I want you to see this today. Here's the result. We have individual rights regulated by law. And just so you know, this is a recipe for you and me to be as selfish as we can be legally. And in this system, rights become nothing more than an exercise of power. And in the end, we will find ourselves, uh, this is how we'll find ourselves. The rich will always rule the poor. Women will become more of a commodity. Children will become more victims. Uh, if it's legal, then we say it's moral. Law informs conscience, and everybody looks for a loophole. And what I'm finding is our legal system has permanently detached itself from divine and moral uh, absolutes. But there's hope, and here's what I want to close up with today. There's hope for you and me. In the book of Galatians, which Paul wrote to a group of Gentiles about confusion concerning the law. 
Some folks were trying to tell this new church of Gentiles, you have to keep the Jewish laws concerning dress, concerning food, etc. But the Apostle Paul gives them direction on how they should respond to their personal freedom. Look at this verse in Galatians 5, verse 13. He says this, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. He's saying, when no one is looking, I know you will go as low as you can go and use your flesh to serve yourself. But he says, wait, you're Jesus followers. You're Christians. So don't leverage your freedom for your personal benefit to neglect, uh, to the neglect of what God has called you to do. Don't ask the question, what can I get by with, or how low can I go, or is there a law against it? No, he's saying this instead, the last part of the verse. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Now, here's a thought. No one can make you or me do that. No one can legislate a law to make you and I love other people. There's no law that will inspire me or you to do that. The law just draws a line on how selfish you and I can be. Paul is saying, God has called us to leverage our freedom to serve uh, uh, other people. Now, you have a right not to, but you also have the opportunity to serve others. Then Paul takes us to one of the most well-known scriptures in the Bible. He says this in verse 14. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. He's saying, when you get up in the morning and you think, I'm free to do whatever I want to do. I'm, I can say whatever I want to say. I can, I can leverage my freedom to love myself more or to love my neighbors more. Am I going to do unto others as I would have others do unto me? Am I going to treat my girlfriend the way I would want uh, a boy to treat my younger sister? Am I going to treat my wife the way I hope my daughter's husband treats her? Am I going to respond to my husband the way my daughters uh, will respond to their husband? I'm going to treat my coworkers. Am I going to treat my coworkers the way I want to be treated at work? Am I going to treat my boss the way I want others to treat me when I'm a boss? I'm going to honor, am I going to honor my parents the way I hope my kids will honor me someday when I'm a parent? Imagine one day in America, one day in America where everyone loves their neighbor more than themselves. See, if everyone did that, there would almost be no need for any of our laws. Because when a nation looks up and says, how far can I reach out to other people? How far can I reach up to God? Then everything changes. All the fine print that are on the law books becomes irrelevant. When we, when we leverage our freedom for the betterment of others, the world instantly becomes a better place. So what is, what is amazing is how God uses Paul to look 2,000 years into the future and say this to us. If you don't get this right, let me tell you what's going to happen to you as a nation. If you decide to leverage your rights only for yourselves as individuals and forget you're part of a community, forget you're part of a nation, forget you're called by God to do unto others as God through Christ has done for you. But I just want you to know, the church can turn this around. If you forget it, this is what he's saying. He's saying, 
you will begin to bite and devour one another. He's saying you'll become like dogs and you'll just mutilate each other, tear each other up. And that's what we're seeing in America today. And I just want to say to you as a church, church, let's not do that. Let's, let's be the kind of people that honor God with everything we've got. I want to give you four statements to think about as we close today. Number one, do what's just, not what you can justify. Don't ask how low can I go, but how can I reach and how can I help? Here's what will happen when life becomes all about your individual rights. The Galatians 5.15, I forgot to say this, but I did say it. Galatians 5.15, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. In other words, liberty will eat up liberty. We'll say things like this, that's mine, that's my way, I can do whatever I want. Number two, do what is responsible, not simply what is permissible. If you're not willing to take responsibility for a decision or action or the outcome of that decision or action, then don't do it. Somebody always has to become responsible for your irresponsibility. I want to say that again. Somebody will always have to become responsible for your irresponsibility. Number three, do what is moral, not what is modeled. Is this the way you want your kids to behave? Is this the way you want your your, your kids to, uh, to spend the rest of their life? <clears throat> do you want to model your life after Hollywood? See, do my choices benefit my spouse, my kids, uh, others, my neighbors? Am I a good moral example or a good moral model? And then number four, this is how you do it. You honor God. That means every time you make a decision, you ask, What would be the most honoring to God? And we all know the answer to this every time because our forefathers wrote it out for us. And it says these words, it is self-evident. And this uh, points back to the question that the founders believe and that we believe, and that's this, that individual rights assume personal accountability to God. John John Adams who I've mentioned many times, said this. Posterity, which means succeeding future generations. He's addressing, he had the the grace to be able to look far ahead into the future. And he said this, posterity, you will never know how much it costs the present generation to preserve your freedom. I hope you will make good use of it I want to say that again. I hope you will make good use of it. If you do not, I shall repent in heaven that I ever took half the pains to preserve it. So here's a thought. Red, yellow, black, and white. We all know that song if you grew up in church. We are all precious in his sight. Democrats and Republicans, you are too precious in his sight. Do you know why you're Republican though? It's because what you have been taught and heard and experienced. Do you know why you're a Democrat? It's because of what you've been taught, heard, and experienced. Do you know why you're a libertarian? Because you can't make up your mind. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) 
Do you know why you're a libertarian? Because you don't care if you ever win an election. No, that's not true either. All right, here's, you're a libertarian because you have a unique view of freedom. So, truth is, we all do, and the question is, what are we going to do with it? Without God and using our freedom for others, this experiment in liberty will fail. So, I want to take some time today to thank God for our freedom, but before I do, uh, and I, I hope that today you will go out and say, you know, how can I help someone else? That's what we're here for. Because we don't serve like other people serve. We serve a God who has a much higher standard. And it's a law that's written on our hearts and not on the pages. Now, today I want to close with a clip from Sandlot. And what, I, what it felt like for me growing up as a kid, how we met together with family, neighbors. We always gave thanks to God. We played baseball and games, and we were amazed at God's blessing on our nation. So please watch this clip. Let's go. Come on, get your glove and come on. It's the big deal. Night game, come on. Come on. Mom, slow down. In liberating strife. There was only one night game a year. On the 4th of July, the whole sky would brighten up with fireworks, giving us just enough light for a game. We played our best then, because I guess we all felt like the big leaguers under the lights of some great stadium. Benny felt like that all the time. We all knew he was going to go on to bigger and better games, because every time we stopped to watch the sky on those nights, like regular kids, he was there to call us back. You see, for us, baseball was a game. But for Benjamin Franklin Rodriguez, baseball was life. Let me just say this, happy 244th birthday to all of you <clears throat> who are Americans. And would you pray with me as we close today? Father God, we thank you that you shed your grace upon America. We thank you for, for men and women who had the, the guts to stand up and say, we're going to create a nation by getting on our knees and go after God. 
We want to say thank you, Lord, that these men followed your steps and your precepts and that the foundation was great and that you blessed it and honored it. We ask you, Lord, to forgive us for even departing from the foundation of your word. We pray, Lord, that you will use your church to restore it once again and may we be a church that loves our neighbors more than ourselves. We thank you, Lord, for your grace on us. May it continue in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. See you next week. Thank you for joining us today. We have a lot of great resources for you over at harborcitychurch.org. Come check us out, and I hope you have an awesome week.